Welcome to Feels Like Healing with me, Al Lewis, a podcast where I talk to artists about how creativity has helped them process their grief. The reason I'm making this podcast is because when I was 21, I lost my dad to MS. That seismic moment in my life made me decide to become a singer-songwriter. I'd been making music before that point, but never considered it a life choice or as a career. However, after the death of my dad, creativity became a solace for me and a way I could express both my joy and my pain. It made me feel alive in the very moment when I was confronted with the ephemeral nature of life and the devastating reality of loss. So I wanted to talk to other people who've ended up in the creative world, but who've also experienced loss, to see whether they have similar stories of why they got into creativity or whether they were already creative people and just happened to suffer grief. I hope during these conversations that I will come to better understand grief and why it makes us feel how we feel and do what we do. This is Feels Like Healing. Joining me this week on Feels Like Healing, I have the double bass player John Parker. John is probably best known as one half of the duo Nisloppy. Nisloppy rose to fame in the UK in 2005 when their debut single, JCB, rose to number one on the UK singles charts. Nisloppy are also known as being one of the main influences on a young Ed Sheeran, whoever he may be. But I'm delighted to say that John joins me today to talk about grief and creativity. How are you doing, John? You all right? I'm very well. It's lovely to see you, Al. Yeah, so thank you for coming on this podcast. Um, The premise is that we talk about grief, but mainly about how creativity has played a part in people's grief, how it's helped, how it's perhaps helped contextualize the grief, um, helped ease the grief. So um, first of all, do you want to just tell us your, your biog, your music biog? Yes. Well, I'm a double bass player, um, double bass player, beatboxer when I was younger and able to do that um, with a band called Nisloppy. He had some success and um, had their own label and had a number one single and, you know, that sort of thing uh, and toured extensively for many, many years. Um, and that it was, yeah. And now I'm a session double bass player. So it's a very different um, way of doing music. It's, it's different creatively because I don't tend to write anymore. I, I sort of only wrote with Nisopi really because um, I t- could only get away with playing that many notes in that duo <laughs> so there's nothing else um so yeah so that's you know and similar to you actually i i lost my dad when i was ooh, four, fifteen, and my mum i remember my mum saying to me she bought me like a little keyboard and she was saying you know channel how you're feeling into this and i couldn't play keyboards to save my life um but it, it did stick with me it definitely stuck with me that that was a good way of because I think I was uh, certainly when you're maybe a boy and in your teens, when you lose your dad, you're quite confused and quite angry as well. So, you know, I got into rock bands and, you know, made lots of noise and it was really, it was cleansing. It was just really nice to be loud and, you know, play. I think I was an electric bass player at the time, but it was just a good way of venting um, frustration and confusion that, you know, your parents are supposed to be at your graduation and your weddings and wedding. Um, and, um, yeah. And my dad obviously died way too young. So, um, so yeah, that was my initial sort of touch on grief and creativity. I'd say. 
was was your career path shaped by losing your dad or did you did you already think that you wanted to be a musician before you lost your dad or was it more of a thing that you decided later on because you said you were 14 15 am I right that's sort of the time you met Luke your bandmate is that yeah yeah I mean we were already I think I was already telling everybody I play guitar and I didn't um (laughs) but I really really wanted to (laughs) and I had the long hair so I looked the part but um I didn't know how to do it. My dad actually taught me how to tune the guitar and taught me my first chords. Cause, and he exposed me, funnily enough, to all the music that I still listen to. I went to see a film last night, Belfast, and it's basically Van Morrison all the way through. And I was just sitting there with my girlfriend going, I was raised on this is the music of my upbringing, Paul Simon and that sort of thing. So it heavily influenced the music I went on to go and play and do play. So, um, I mean, I think when you lose a parent, I think your world changes. And certainly now having lost my mum, I can feel like I'm not the same person I was, you know, a year ago. And that changes the way you put yourself out in the world, I guess. So realize that that was happening to you when you lost your dad, that you were becoming a different or had already become a different person. Did you realize that there was these changes happening to you or do you think you were too young to really understand what was going on inside your head? I think way too young. And and funnily enough, when (laughs) when you lose both parents, you, yeah, it was just, it's very, very different. So I remember looking back and talking to my siblings and saying, well, it just didn't feel like this when I lost my dad, you know, the, how I feel having lost my mum. And it's partly because I cared for her. I think that you, like just incredible sadness. There wasn't so much of the anger or the confusion. There was just sadness. And then there was also quite a lot of gratitude for having been on quite an incredible journey together. Um, But I could feel it changing me. The caring for somebody doing end of life care changed me. And then coming out of it has also changed me, changed the musician I am as well, you know, the way I play and everything. So, so would you say that your your relationship with grief has changed then from the grief that perhaps you didn't know you were processing with your dad to now the grief that you have understood maybe better now with your mum, would you say? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I'm quite a lot older, <laughs> considerably older. Um yeah, and I think I think when you're older, you just are aware that death happens. It's 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 one of the only inevitables, really. Um, and there's a freeing thing to that as well. That can be quite scary, but it can be quite freeing as well to accept that you know this this can all end, and you don't often have know when that's going to happen. Um, there will be a last time you do anything. There'll be a last time I play double bass and. Um, um, which does change the way you do it. It does mean that you come into it and go, just going to enjoy this enjoyable moment rather than, you know, and maybe not wallow in the the drama of an, a bad moment. So, Did you used to, because I, I often think um, that I didn't really approach my 20s in the same way that my friends did because I was thinking about this earlier, like I I think for most people in their twenties, they think life's going to go on forever and you're going to be young forever. And life is a big party. I know it's not for everybody in their twenties, but I always felt like 
because I'd lost my dad that I had this different outlook that um, I realized the finality, not the finality of life, but it just gave me a different perspective on, on life. And so I just wonder, did, did you feel the same? Like you, like you were seeing life through a different lens to your peers when you were that age? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, the fragility of life was, was, um, I was aware of that. And I think in a way, I think when you're younger, then it means that you behave in a, you know, kind of do everything all of the time, cram everything in, um, maybe, uh, quantity over quality, um, (laughs) you know, even as a double bass player. So, yeah. So was, was your dad's death more of a sudden death? Um, you know what? It's so weird, but it it really wasn't actually, if anything, it was probably more prolonged than my mum's. Um, but it felt sudden because I guess even though we knew inevitably that's where this was going, um, that my dad was going to die, it, it just seemed to happen. I was in a maths class in school and got called out and I kind of already knew. And I was like, wow, that's it. You know, it's, it's so final. And, and I guess I did have that with my mum a bit, but I mean, I was obviously much more aware and heavily involved in the care. So you're, you know, every, every day you're living, living at her illness, basically. So, so to, to move on to the sort of the creativity side, did you, you said you only really wrote with the sloppy. Um, did you ever explicitly write about grief with Luke in, in that band? No, we did talk about it quite a lot. Um, but no, not really. I think I played very much like, like I would get on stage as if it was, you know, this might be the last time I get to do this, you know, that always sort of sweeps by. Not that I think I'm going to die, but this, that, that, and just making the most of that situation. Um, and then I think weirdly after mum died because I didn't play in the last in the end of life care which was two months in the end was I just didn't play my double bass and that's unheard of for me like I might miss a day or two of practice but I don't miss months and I wasn't sure you know there was a fear when she died I was like I don't know if I don't know if I can go back weirdly even within a couple of days of her death I found myself I'm actually quite a rare breed of musician. So on Fridays when iTunes um, puts up, you know, new albums, I get up in the morning and have breakfast going through all the new albums that are coming out. Just, you know, in all the different categories because I just love music and I'd slightly forgotten that I loved music. And, you know, within a week of my mum's passing or death, I, um, you know, I remember David Gray's Skellig record had come out that week. And I just went for long walks. I live in the countryside with my headphones on listening to this record and just going, oh my God, that's, it was healing. It was definitely healing. I felt, I really felt like there's just something about honest songs that, you know, a song that speaks to you. I just felt like he was communicating how I was feeling, you know, like, alone really you know that kind of island I mean it's all set on an island that last record but there is that I did feel like there was an album that he'd written about me so (laughs) I was just listening to it on a repeat fantastic record and so did you feel like when you when you did play the double bass again 
was that love still there? Yeah, and and but it was very private. It was very. I think I was at the moment I played my bass. I was like, oh yeah, this is this feels great. Everything slightly changed. Like, um, like for instance, physically, my bowing arm changed. Like I felt. I was trying to pull sounds out of my instrument that I just that were a bit deeper than before. Um, and the tone of my instrument changed partly because it probably had a rest, but, um, um, but it meant more. Um, so yes. Um, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do it with anybody else. That's the thing. I think that took a while, um, to feel comfortable. Do you feel, are you back playing with other people now? I am. In fact, I did. My mum died at the end, almost a year ago in February. And I did my first gig back in April with a um, singer called Maz O'Connor. And I remember the the email exchange between us was just, it was just like, I I was just like, this has happened. Send me the set list. Send me all the songs. Send me the key signatures and I'll try. (laughs) She took a gamble. Um, and um and actually it was quite a good time because obviously with all the covid restrictions we we did like a live stream at Cecil Sharp House so there was no real audience there i knew all the crew from various other gigs um so it's like walking into a family they all knew that i was at the start of quite a heavy grieving process so um but it felt really nice it felt nice to turn around to a drummer and go oh yeah that's where we land and it's like yeah it's, it's like it never is it's always been that way so do you think that i mean i often think that um that connection that we make as musicians is probably something that i'm craving that i haven't got i don't, you know because because of losing dad and is that you lose somebody that you maybe you're trying to supplement that by having new connections with with other people that can go deeper um, I don't know if you feel the same way sometimes that, you know, music is plugging that hole sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the connections, not only with your instrument and the musicians you're playing with and the song, I found that definitely has changed as a, not a lyricist and maybe somebody who was slightly unaware of lyrics in a way, um, more interested in harmony, um, and, and now, you know, I've definitely have had people send me albums. I've listened to them and, you know, that I'll hear a song and I'll just cry. And I think, my God, that's exactly, yeah, I totally feel that, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I think. And also there's there's the connection between you and an audience as well, which I know we've not had much time with in the last few years. But that can feel like it plugs that gap. Um and also music, you know, you know, certainly in my old band, there would be a lot of people that would come up after shows and say this, you know, the JCB song means this much because I lost my dad at, at this point. And so our, like, our merch table became like counselling. That song's about father-son relationship, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. It, how did you feel performing that song? Did that song feel cathartic to perform because of that i mean obviously i'm assuming it was you just said you know you're not the lyricist it's mm. luke's relationship with his dad but was there a part of you that was playing that thinking about 
you and your dad? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had like Luke, obviously Luke and his dad Kieran have have a beautiful relationship, and hence that song. Um, and me and my dad had a difficult relationship, and obviously my dad's not here. Um, so it it was one of those songs that it did so much good in the world as well. But then when journalists would ask me about it, I'd be like, it's like a totally different experience to what I have of my dad. And also, you know, he, he, by that point, he'd probably been dead nearly 10 years. So, um, so yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it definitely made me think of him. It made me think about having, made me think about improving my relationship with, you know, my siblings and my, my mum, because obviously, you know, it's like busy musicians. It's very difficult to, stay on top of all that stuff um, what siblings do you have john brothers or sisters i've got two sisters and a brother okay and because so. i i went through this on my own because i'm an only child and so i think another reason why i wanted to become a singer songwriter is because i felt like i needed to share my thoughts with other people did you did you were you able and i think there was also a um, uh a male thing as well about not being able to open up mm. in normal conversation. Um, were you able to open up and talk about your dad with your siblings? Um, my dad less so. Um, I think, I think a teenager, like you say, being, being a boy stroke man, um, just wasn't sure how to talk. It was such a confusing, you know, time i'm the eldest that must have been hard as well you, you suppose you you assume the responsibility of looking after your brothers and sisters yeah and the dynamic would had been like that because my dad had been ill since kind of since we were born really so like he he was unable to to do you know <laughs> to do very much to be honest so i think once we once i was of an age to understand that something wasn't quite right you know, so me and mum would work as a team and then, um, yeah, no, but he was a very proud man. So it can be quite difficult. <laughs> it's quite difficult to let your young son help, you know. Um, Definitely. So. Did you, did you therefore feel, and I felt this, like you had to put on a, uh, a tough exterior to other people to show that maybe, you know, it was, you were dealing with it when perhaps you weren't really dealing with it very well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's weird. I feel like I've got a second bite of the apple now because of my mum's passing. And it's very different for me. I, I'm very open, um, partly because I was doing that charity run and I was asked a lot of questions and, um, um, and I was like, it's good to talk. And there are people that come up to me and say, Oh, you know, I've lost so-and-so and, you know, I, I, I relate. Um, and certainly as a guy as well, <laughs> men don't really talk about it and men don't tend to show their feelings or cry or, um, or just discuss how damn confusing it can all be. Um, so yeah, so I didn't really talk about my dad. I think I just channeled that into being quite a disruptive teenager. <laughs> Apart from music, I think I know perhaps what you're going to answer this. What else is there in your life that helps you with processing grief? I mean, the obvious answer for me is running because I am a long distance runner. Um, 
and uh, while my mum was unconscious here, actually, I promised my mum I would look after the garden, which I have failed to do. Um, sorry, uh, mum. And um, and then I said I'd run the the London Marathon for Might and Hospice, who came in just at the last bit to help me. It was really important to me to do the journey to the end. Um, but we had a district nurse who was just going, you've got to have somebody in here to help you now. So they came in and they were amazing, like just unbelievable level of care. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can raise, you know, something, <laughs> do something, um, even if it covers the costs. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so running, but, um, I think I did a lot of reading, actually. There was a book, I think it was called Grief Matters, um, that I read and then got an audio book and I would do my long, slow runs just listening to stories of people who'd lost not just husbands and wives, but parents and children. And um, Because I think I was looking for... I was looking for somebody to kind of say so it's almost validate how I was feeling so I could go oh, I recognize that yeah. um so so true and I think that's kind of kind of why I wanted to make this podcast because like you said as a as a young boy I I didn't really process this at all and one thing that happened to me over the pandemic was that um I finally decided to sell my dad's house so I'd because I'm an only child I'd, I, and my mum and dad were divorced, I inherited my dad's house. And when he died, I just couldn't really deal with going there and sorting all his stuff out. Mm. I, I couldn't really get, bring myself to go to his loft and go through all his belongings. So I just rented it out straight away, pretty much. I think the, late, the lady moved in within a month of him passing. Wow. Last year, she decided she wanted to leave. I was confronted with going through all that stuff made me realize how much of my grief I'd bottled up. I think hearing what you're saying about, you know, being an angry teenager and not not being able to process it, I think that's so true for for young, I think, like you said, young men particularly. Mm. It's, it's really hard to open up and show vulnerability, isn't it? And hopefully by... By us talking here today, we can um, show show guys that us us macho men, John. <laughs> we can talk about it. It's 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 interesting you mentioned the house because I'm in my mum's house. So and I'm actually buying my mum's house off my siblings now. Um, and like I say, it's it's almost a year since I lost mum. And obviously, I turned the living room into a hospital room. So, you know, you hire the hospital beds and all that sort of stuff. That stuff was gone within the first week. So I suddenly had an empty living room. It was so weird. And I, even now, I've painted a wall and I've done a bookcase in there, but I don't spend time in there. It's still, I'm still not ready. Um, but I have started sorting through photos and letters and she kept everything so which is kind of interesting and kind of funny all the valentine's cards that they sent to each other and um and knowing that i have to let go of that as i can't keep that and i'm in a way i feel bad reading some of them because they weren't for my eyes <laughs> <laughs> they're things you can't unsee very true very true john 
<laughs> I think I found one of my dad's uh, rude magazines from when he was at university. <laughs> That's brilliant. That made me chuckle. That made me chuckle. Whilst I was caring for mum, I was slowly clearing through stuff then, not because I thought she was going to die, but just because at some point I knew I was going to move on. This was going to come to an end, I guess. And yeah, now I'm quite, I'm, I like I like books and I like vinyl, but I'm going to, that's it. <laughs> and there's no point buying anything else. Okay, I've got to buy clothes. But yeah, anything, you, you, you really can't take it with you. And then when you lose a parent, you that's really true. It's like the things they coveted, you know, go to charity shops. I think I've also realized as I've got to this age of like late 30s that there are little things that obviously meant a lot to them that is nice to keep and that that physical connection is also really powerful, isn't it? Just holding something that you know was a treasure to them. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I've got my dad's guitar plectrum, um, which obviously <laughs> it's just mad that I don't use a plectrum. <laughs> That's impressive. You managed to keep hold of a plectrum. I'm constantly losing my plectrum. So that's impressive, John. Well done. The, the trick is never to use them. <laughs> Store it in a little box. And my mum, I've got so much stuff. And it feels like before the dementia, there was a different mum. And then, then there was the, the dementia mum. So it's finding old photographs of her when she was healthy and, um, and happy, you know. Um, but there's so much stuff. And in fact, I have started the process of turning the house into a home rather than a mausoleum because it does feel like yeah. <laughs> it does feel like that. And apart from talking to me now today, are you uh, do you use social media to talk about your grief or do you talk privately to friends or a bit of both? Or that's another thing I've realized is that I don't know if you experience this is when you're young, your mates, they don't know how to talk to you about losing a parent they just sort of either don't mention it or say really sorry mate about your dad and then move on and it's yeah and you don't know either how to how to be around people um it's like the elephant in the room but are you able to now talk to people openly about it or like i said or social media or what, what do you find helps you i mean yeah i do i talk about it a lot um because it's such a huge thing <laughs> it's such a it's a, my life for the last few years has been care and devoted to one person and they're not here anymore i put that up and i there were so many people that didn't know my mum had died and um and social media was a great way of telling an incredible amount of people this is happening um and then i find the need sometimes because you get waves of grief and sometimes it knocks you back. And so I find myself, I use Instagram quite a lot and I find myself just going today feels like this, you know? Um, and I don't know why I do that, <laughs> but I do. Um, and it's beneficial for some people, you know, it's seeking, like you said, seeking, seeking, a someone else to be saying, yeah, I, I get that. I'm going through that too. I think, I think it's a natural, it's a natural need in human beings to find that 
assurance and comfort in the knowledge that you're not alone in, in what you're going through. I yeah, there, there's just something. And also I can offer quite a lot of support now because I am, you know, a year into this journey. Um, so there's a lot of conversations. There's been a lot of conversations with um, I volunteer at a homeless shelter. And so you meet a lot of people who are working through things, um, you know, and they might have lost a wife or a husband or whatever. And you find yourself just sitting down having a cup of tea and just going, well, what was it like for you? And, um, and it's good because there's a generational gap there as well. Cause I'm quite young in a certain sense to be having quite intense conversations about grief and afterlife care. But, um, you know, I have, I guess I have a younger perspective on it. So, yeah. And so looking forward now, do you see, because um, like you said, and I think it's so true, grief comes in waves. And I used to think when I first lost my dad that it would be like a downward linear um, thing, that it would be, mm. you know, I would feel this intense grief and then it would just ease and it would become a manageable level. And now I've realized, obviously, that's not the case and it's yo-yos up and down. Um, mm. Moving forward now, is there a going back to the creativity or running, are you finding these things coming back into your life slowly, uh, are helping, are helping you? You you said you've had your first gig, but obviously with the pandemic, we haven't been able to do as much live music as we would love to, but do you see now a path where you, you bring music more into your life? Having, like you said, having been a carer for so long, is that, is that the path you see you take yourself taking now in the future? I do. And weirdly started to write um, just musical pieces and ideas and um, uh, just find myself just, I, I got an extension on my double bass and, um, and it seemed to change the sound of my instrument again. And I was like, Oh my God. So I just felt like writing. I just, the joy of playing music. I just felt like writing, not for a specific, you know, I'm not, not interested in world domination. <laughs> so we scratch that off. But I think, I think there's a two sides to me, which is um, I am a carer and a musician. And I think in the future, I will combine the two. Um, um, if that's music therapy or working in special needs schools or, um, doing music that feels like it would be a nice it would tick a lot of my boxes basically because music is music is obviously amazing it's a great thing to do but also um yeah there's sometimes there isn't the i don't get to do the kind of caring side that i kind of want to do so so yeah so that's 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 the future <laughs> well, all the best with that john i hope uh, i hope it goes well for you and that sounds like a, a really good healthy balance that what you've just spoken about and i i too have been reflecting about what it what it is about music that i could provide that would like you say that would that would provide something to somebody else as well and not just be a internal musing of a of a guy with his guitar because i think i think music is healing and i think that's kind of again why i wanted to make this podcast because i think it does it does help with with pain and loss and um so absolutely and i think as a songwriter as you're as you know obviously you're a very good songwriter i you you mean you write a song and it might be about 
it's something that's very personal to you. You just have no idea when you perform that, when you record it and it goes out into the world, it has a life of its own and people connect to songs very differently. And they think, oh, this really speaks to say the grief I feel about this. And you think, but that song's about shopping in Lidl on a Sunday. (laughs) How on earth has it hit that? But sometimes it's a vocal melody or it's the way it's performed or... um, out of interest that david gray album you talked about is that album explicitly about loss and grief or do you think you've interpreted it that way i've interpreted that way it's 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 um about an island called skellig which i think is off the coast of ireland it's like a small off the coast of scotland it's a small island that's kind of abandoned and in the sea and i think it's there's the way he's recorded it there's a lot of voices just feels it feels like you do when you first lose somebody, when you're just standing on your own going, oh my God, just being hit by huge waves. You know, it feels very much like that. There was an artist called Anne Brune. Oh, yeah. Um, who who did, she lost her dad, I believe. And she wrote an album, something about sorrow, I think it is. And I'm not sure I think what it was called. But that was quite painful to listen to because obviously it was basically tapping into to grief. How Beats Holds the Hand of Sorrow, I think it's called. Yeah, and you have to be, so it's so tricky with those things because you don't want to wallow in in grief um, or drown in it, which is easy to do. And, I, you know, and it's not a judgment. I, I know a good friend of mine is s- stuck and has been stuck for a long time. And, um, and I feel a little bit like you have a sounds arrogant, but I feel like I felt like I had a choice, you know, like I let the grief roll over me when it's there. But then other than that, I cho- definitely choose life. And and so we'll listen to you know, quite upbeat music. <laughs> you know, I think that, yeah, I, I resonate with that. And like when I make music, you've got two options you could like you say you could go down the path of the darkness and or you could try and try and find some hope and some light in it and and i usually try and go for the latter don it's been it's been lovely to talk to you mate and um, thank you for being so open and honest with me and hearing your journey how often it has mirrored mine is it proves that it's good to share i think hopefully really glad we did today yeah, me too. Thanks, man. And now, JCB by Nisloppy. Well, I'm rumbling in this JCB. I'm five years old, my dad's a giant sitting beside me in the Engine rattles my bum like berserk While we're singing Don't forget your shovel if you want to go and work My dad's probably had a bloody hard day But he's been good fun and bubbling and joking way And the procession of cars stuck behind Are getting all impatient and angry but we don't mind Holding up the bypass Oh Me and my dad having a top laugh Oh what? Sitting on the toolbox Oh And I'm so glad I'm not in school boss So glad I'm not in school Oh no 
pull over, let cars pass And pull off again, speeding by this summer green grass And we're like giants up here in our big yellow digger Like Zoids or Transformers or maybe even bigger And they want to transform into a Tyrannosaurus Rex And eat up all the bullies and the teachers and their pets And I'll tell all my mates my dad's behavior up is only with a JCB and Bruce Lee's nunchuckers. And we're holding up the bypass. Oh, me and my dad having a top laugh. Oh, oh, sitting on the toolbox. Oh, and I'm so glad I'm not in school, boss. So glad I'm not in school. And we're holding up the bypass. Oh, me and my dad having a top love Oh, oh, I'm sitting on the toolbox Oh, and I'm so glad I'm not in school box So glad I'm not in school Said I'm Luke, I'm five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke, I'm five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke, I'm five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke, I'm five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round and we're holding up the bypass Whoa, and me and my dad having a top laugh Oh, whoa and I'm sitting on the toolbox Oh And I'm so glad I'm not in school box So glad I'm not in school I said I'm Luke on five But my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke on five But my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his I'm Luke on five But my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke on five But my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB You can find information about all the songs I've used in the description of this episode. Please make sure that you rate and subscribe to this podcast as it will help to spread the word about Feels Like Healing. Thanks for listening.